when I ask what publisher is the worst publisher in terms of business practice or in terms of reputation, what do you think? Most of you will probably think Electronic Arts, EA. That's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be going into some of their history, some of the things that they've done, and possibly we can challenge your perceptions as to why you feel the way you do about Electronic Arts. So with that said, this is the Insert Coin Theater podcast. I'm your host, Tim. Let's get started with the show. This topic has been beaten to death in my circle of friends over and over and over again. And a lot of people seem to think that EA is the devil of gaming. And what I mean by that is people seem to have a very strong feeling towards EA in general. And, you know, before I get into my own personal opinion on this, why don't we why don't we look a little bit into EA, its history, what it's done, and then we can form our own opinions. You could maybe, I don't know, galvanize your current opinion or maybe even change your mind at least a little bit. I think at at its core, we're going to learn some new things regardless of who you are. But before we get into it, I'd like to first give a bit of a shout out to Pirate King. Uh, He is the one who kind of spawned this discussion in my head and where I would take it. And I think ultimately uh, it inspired me pretty heavily. And so I appreciate it, Pirate King. Thank you for uh, making me think about EA in a light maybe I hadn't considered before because there's been a lot of rabble rousing and negativity around this company and this publisher. And maybe we don't exactly know why. So There's a lot of compressed details in this episode, so I apologize if it gets a little winded, but there's a lot to dive in here into here. So uh, we're going to focus on recent EA within the last, say, three to five years. Uh, We'll touch a little on a couple of things that they've done in the past, even further back. But ultimately, we're going to we're going to focus on recent EA because old EA was such a beacon of consumer mistrust for so many years. And I don't feel like with the recent changes they've had in CEOs, which I think happened in 20, I want to say 2015 or something like that. I, I don't know if it's exactly fair to judge the entirety of EA off of its entire history, which you may disagree, but that's fine. We're, we're going to try to keep the facts focused specifically on their more recent behaviors, though we will have some uh, throwbacks to older stuff, but we'll try to keep it focused. So uh, that said, keep in mind that I'm trying to, in the first half of this, keep everything fact based. Uh, So I don't want to make you feel like I have any real insight into EA. I enjoy EA's works and that's my full disclosure. I enjoy their content, their games that they make. But I am in no way affiliated with EA. I'm not a fanboy. 
but I am an avid gamer and I have a huge, huge passion for rooting out what makes our games and kind of how they come to be. So feel free to label me as a fanboy, label me as sucking on EA's teat, however you want to do it. Ultimately, I'm trying to first give you the facts to make your own opinions, and then I'll present to you my opinions and the way I feel. So we'll get into that a little later. So why don't we go ahead and jump right in? So one of the things that EA did that really, really upset gamers was that there were always online requirements for many of their games, even single player games. Let's take a look at the SimCity debacle, if you remember that. The SimCity disaster was where they required always online connections to play SimCity, which historically has been a single player franchise. You play on your own, you build your city, you can build into a region and they decided to add some online features. Well, those online features apparently made them want to make the entire thing online only, which was really, really strange. And they backtracked on this a bit. Uh, they got some backlash around SimCity, which they fixed that uh, later on. And I think Need for Speed, um, the most most recent Need for Speed, uh, had the same issue. I'm not 100% sure on that, but I think it did. And I believe EA has kind of backtracked away from requiring games that have single-player campaigns to requiring online. I know they did the same with, I think, Star Wars Battlefront, the 2015 one. They kind of shied away from requiring online only for it to be able to play the campaign. Not not campaign, but to play on your own. I could be incorrect there. Uh, please correct me if I'm wrong. The next argument that I've heard so many times that there are yearly releases for their sports games. So sports franchises see yearly releases from EA, usually with updated rosters based on, you know, who's been traded to what team, who has joined what team, that sort of thing, as well as updated graphics and sometimes new features. Sports game fans tend to feel like this is out of line making a yearly title at 60 bucks that's expensive it adds up quick and doing that every year kind of sucks but one thing is for certain that sports games are a great revenue earner for EA and they wouldn't make them if it didn't bring in good money however we don't know exactly how much EA has spent on licensing for the franchises that they have like FIFA and NBA And uh, I think they do uh, they do NFL with Madden and maybe MLB as well. But let's let's draw a comparison to another form of media. Let's look at television. So the broadcast rights for the NFL for uh, the various networks that will be carrying NFL games between 2014 and 2022 will cost upwards of 40 billion dollars. That's not million. That's a billion with a B. So. Boiling that down, that comes down to approximately $5 billion a year for that time period. And if you think about that, what what exactly is the NFL? And that's just the NFL. Keep that in mind. That's one sports league. That's not including, that's not MLB. That's not, they're, they're all their own entities. So take into account the fact that $5 billion a year is spent by television networks to cover these games. How much is EA spending a year for the rights to make these games? 
they probably have to pay a really handsome amount for to each league. I mean, if you think FIFA, they have to pay uh, licensing to NFL, NBA. I mean, every one of these uh, uh, leagues, they have to pay for the rights. So it, one of the things that is fairly true when it comes to the television uh, negotiations is that when they do them in these blocks of time, the price goes up every set of t- set of blocks of time, of course, depending on the popularity of the sport and how well things are going. But ultimately, if you look at how well the sports franchises do, they, they tend to do pretty well, if not better every year. So I'm sure their costs go up every time as well. So the sports leagues, you got to remember, probably don't give a crap about if EA makes money, they how how they make money. And if they do, they just want their cut from the licensing. And that's that. And so keep in mind that this is probably a very expensive venture for them. I mean, and not to add the cost of development, the cost of marketing, the cost of publishing. But that said, that cost of licensing alone is probably gargantuan which is probably why instead of doing like a patch to update graphics to update rosters or something like that they uh release a whole new game and it it makes it makes sense to me but again this is just bringing you the evidence and the information and you make your own opinions okay so uh this one is less of a an ea specific problem but generally speaking i wanted to touch on this uh because i've heard complaints about it so people say the base game uh, costs tend to sit at 60 bucks and then you have to buy like a special ed- edition or a season pass uh, which costs another 60 bucks uh, and then there's microtransactions and loot boxes and the like so that those things are a big complaint the, the price of games is is too high the cost is too much and the season passes are nickel and diming you so let me just say that Due to the cost in making, uh, marketing, distributing, games at a $60 price point for the base game is a blessing. And the reason that I say that is because historically, games have been very, very expensive. You can make the argument that the cost of cartridges was higher, etc., etc. But regardless, we'll get into why that that I why that argument has faults of its own but that that said nes games came in at and came in at at least 30 dollars with more expensive titles being 50 dollars in the early 1980s now if we calculate that for inflation when the nes was around say in 1986 it would put your more expensive releases those 50 dollar releases at about 115 dollars in today's money for just the base game Sound familiar? It's really not that far off from a game with the season pass. $60 plus a $60, $50 season pass. Uh, Battlefield 1 comes to mind here. Battlefield 1 did that where you could purchase the game and then you could purchase uh, the season pass for another 60 bucks, which I purchased. I purchased the deluxe edition or whatever, and it came with all that stuff. And it was $120. Let's look at N64 games. They were at least $50 in 1996. And they escalated towards the $70 mark and beyond in some cases. Once again, calculating for inflation in 1996 dollars, that comes out to be about $82 to $114 in today's money. So ultimately, the price of games has not fluctuated that much. Now, 
again, you could complain about them cutting things out and making them DLC, yada, yada, yada. We won't get into that argument. I am simply drawing the comparison between pricing and the base, the cost of a base game. So when researching this, Forbes had a very interesting comparison. So in 1994, it cost about $2.49 US for a 20-ounce box of Oreo cookies. Fast forward 20 years to 2014, and it cost $4.49 for a 14.3-ounce box of cookies. So the amount you get there has lessened, but the price has gone up. And if you look at it, really, that hasn't changed that much for video games overall. In reality, we should probably be paying $80 for the base game and $60 for online. But ultimately, to me, and I'm injecting a little bit of opinion here, so forgive me, it makes sense. The staff of game development has gone up. I mean, if you look at how many people work on games nowadays for AAA titles, I mean, that is going to contribute heavily to the cost of a game and and the how many mouths they have to feed, how many people they have to write paychecks to, uh, upfront development costs, um, and then the increased cost of marketing as well. I mean, if you think about how marketing is, if you see a commercial on television, that's a very, very, very expensive method for getting the word out about the game. So if anything, games really are close to on par with where they've been historically. So I think... I think uh, that's a very important point to to look at. Okay, so another not EA exclusive thing, but this was brought up in a lot of kerfuffle about the uh, um, loot boxes in Star Wars Battlefront 2. So very recent, and it's still fresh in so many people's minds, unfortunately. But that said, loot boxes are generally handled incorrectly or abusively. Um, from EA and the reason that I say that and again this is not uh, this is not conjecture this is based on my research and so often they tie loot boxes to a microtransaction system which plays heavily into gambling impulses and it preys upon people with uh, less willpower like addictive personalities and children and I am one of those addictive personalities I have spent way more money on loot boxes because I want that rare thing or whatever than I should have and yeah you might say it's my problem but it is not just my problem so a lot of people suffer or deal with this sort of thing so it plays into the compulsion loop of game design so what the compulsion loop is is it and this is defined a habitual design chain of activities that will be repeated to gain a neurochemical reward, such as the release of dopamine. Compulsion loops are deliberately used in game designs as an extrinsic motivation for players, but may also result from other activities that unintentionally create such loops. So ultimately, the compulsion loop is there to get a release of dopamine in the brains of people that uh take advantage of it so you open that loot box you get that legendary item holy crap that's awesome that gives you a rush and you're like i want to buy 10 more loot boxes because i want more of that and that's the compulsion loop it makes you want to do it more because you get that release of dopamine it's a high and that high makes you want to do it again and again and again and that's why it's addictive and that's the same reason that gambling is addictive in a very similar way However, EA is not the only one that has abusive loot box practices. I mean, Ubisoft, Microsoft Game Studios, Activision Blizzard, and many others have played into this compulsion loop ideology. So 
it's not just EA, but again, they they play into it. So I wanted to present that as part of the facts at hand. All right. So something that is more of, I think, a plus for EA is they try to experiment with small titles, Uh, games released with high quality, but on a smaller scale and a lower price point, often by indie devs or smaller development teams. Uh, They call them EA originals and Unravel is a great example of this. Uh, It's a great game. I'm not a huge fan of it myself, but it's beautifully done, Uh, has a very interesting story and it's 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 really well executed and it's published by EA. And ultimately uh, I think I feel like that's probably a a plus in general is supporting indie development and smaller titles and new IPs. Again, form your own opinion. I'm sorry. I keep interjecting. It's hard not to right? it. I don't want it to be that dry (laughs) anyways. All right. So how about something a little less positive, right? EA is a studio killer. Now, pour one out for your homies because EA has killed a lot of studios. So I'm going to go through part of the list and uh, feel the pangs of sadness if you uh, are a nostalgic gamer like myself. First off, Bullfrog Productions, who created Populous, Syndicate, Theme Park, Theme Hospital, and Dungeon Keeper. They killed off Westwood Studios, which was the Command & Conquer series. Origin Systems, which is Ultima, including Ultima Online. New Effects, which made NBA Street. Pandemic, which were Mercenaries, Destroy All Humans, Full Spectrum Warrior, the original Star Wars Battlefront games. Uh, Black Box Games, who made Need for Speed Hot Pursuit 2 and other Need for Speed titles. DreamWorks Interactive, which started the Medal of Honor franchise. Phenomic Game Development, which created the Spellforge, Battleforge, and Lord of Ultima franchises. Mythic Entertainment, which is Dark Age of Camelot. Maxis, which was SimCity, The Sims, Simant, etc. And then, of course, the most recent victim, Visceral Games, who created Cyber Tiger, Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, My Sims, The Simpsons game, and most notably, the Dead Space franchise. So they've killed a lot of studios. So there you go. <laughs> but let's sandwich that with another maybe positive, if, if you like this sort of thing. EA offers their EA Access service, which for a low price, offers access to a wide array of classic games uh, and recent releases. And you can actually, they offer up Game of the Year editions of a lot of their newer titles. For example, they had uh, Dragon Age Inquisition on there with the Game of the Year edition, not long after launch, really. It's like five bucks a month, I think, or something like that. And it's on both Xbox and PC. So there you go. So I think that is a good spot to stop with the facts and less opinionated piece of this, because we're going to get into my opinion here in a minute. And some of you might not like what you're going to hear from me. Some of you might agree. Some of you, you know, some of you may be like, meh, this guy is talking out of his butt. And that would be fine if you feel that way. Ultimately, I feel like I need to get this off of my chest because this is something that I've wanted to deliver for a while and you know haven't had the proper medium to do it it's hard to do while you're live streaming so this seems to be the perfect place to do it so when we come back from our non-existent sponsor break because uh, I want sponsors but we don't have a sponsor we will get into that so we will be back shortly and uh, after we hear uh, from a a word from our non-sponsor so let's now get into the important part of the show and that's my opinion (laughs) which really isn't but 
I'm hopeful that what I've presented so far will help you kind of form your opinion or maybe adjust your opinion or even make your opinion towards them even stronger. But ultimately, I would very much like for people to understand why they feel so vitriolic towards EA. And I I hope my opinion maybe will help you understand a different side of things. So that said, let's start with annual game releases, loot boxes, microtransactions of the sort. So I don't have a problem with these things. I I think that as a publisher and as one of the biggest publishers, EA's got to make money. They've got employees to pay, shareholders to please, and they've got to have money for their next round of games, right? So I don't necessarily like the way they handle loot boxes, but ultimately these are things that are necessary. And they've been experimenting for quite some time with different ways of monetizing games while keeping the price tag at 60 bucks. So the question comes down to, would you rather pay 80 to $100 for the base game and get more in that game? Or would you rather get the base game, say the campaign, and then get the added content later as DLC for another 40 50 bucks and pay $60 for the base game. So, to some that's six in one hand, half a dozen in the other. For me, I would prefer the games, I think, to stay at 60 bucks and pay for the season pass if you so wish to have it. I think that's an important thing is that that sticks around. And then when it comes to loot boxes, I'm not a big fan of the way they execute loot boxes. I don't like having microtransactions tied to those loot boxes. I like the loot boxes in the fact that I like randomized. I like randomization. I like the fun of opening one of those boxes, but I don't like it being tied to real world money. Now, microtransactions are okay if you want to outright buy a skin. If you maybe want to buy a character in a game or something like that, sure. Why not? It's not that big of a deal to me to have that sort of thing set up. However, when it comes to tying microtransactions to loot boxes and playing off of people's compulsions and uh, those who have don't have the strong will to resist that dopamine hit that you get when you open up a loot box and get something cool and then go out and buy a bunch more loot boxes, I, I think that's a little low. So from my point of view, it's it's a little bit of take it or leave it. If they segregated them better, if they made it loot boxes, microtransactions, but not microtransactions to buy loot boxes, I probably wouldn't care as much. All right. So when it comes to microtransactions, think about League of Legends, right? League of Legends does it perfectly, and Smite does it really well, too. You buy skins for your characters. You can unlock your uh, uh, characters to play as. Uh, It's really, really well done in the sense that it's less of a compulsion loop and more of a buy the things for the characters you like. And I really dig that. I think that's a commendable thing. I think that's the best way to do it is to make it not tied to some weird uh, compulsion loop, but make things that people want to buy and they'll buy them. And that's ultimately what it comes down to, right? In in League of Legends, people want that cool skin. They'll buy that skin because it's kind of a status symbol, right? <clears throat> I mean, in this... Why don't we take a look? Sorry. All right. <laughs> it's one of those deals that just my thoughts are everywhere today. So let's take a look at, like, Dungeon Keeper, okay? So Dungeon Keeper had a mobile game release, and EA totally borked the microtransactions in this in this game so you bought like gyms like a microcurrency or whatever one of those stupid things which i despise but 
you would build something and it would take hours and hours to build. And the only way to speed it up was to use microtransactions. And it was brutal. And it was like anything you wanted to build would be like hours. And it was just not it stopped being a game and started being more of a, hey, give us money to make things build quicker type experience. And so they really, really fleeced their customers and caused a lot of consumer mistrust with that. And from my understanding, uh, a lot of people felt like they abused it and I think they changed it or pulled the game or something. I'm not 100 percent sure, but uh, I do know that uh, Jim Sterling was livid about that. So if you if you get a chance, look up his video on it, because it's pretty it's pretty well uh, articulated about that. All right. So. Let me get into the one thing that I think was the biggest ball of nothing that has hit gaming in a long time but felt more like an excuse to bully EA. So let's talk about the loot box situation in Battlefront 2. So people were overreacting about Battlefront 2. And the reason they were doing this was because the initial complaint was because EA, the the biggest toss-up anyways, EA had made a post when somebody complained about it taking like 40 hours or something to unlock Yoda and Darth Vader characters to play as in the game uh, unless you purchase them so EA made a response and said that was what our intent was that it would take a while to do this and it became the most I guess downvoted post in Reddit history something like that which to me is a red flag in its own because Reddit is a bit of a brigading cesspool when it comes to that sort of thing and I mean I I get my kicks on Reddit every once in a while but when it comes to the overall general communities especially when it comes to Star Wars yeah, uh, stay away from Reddit. Stay far, far away from Reddit. The, the Star Wars fandom has proven to be a toxic waste dump lately, unfortunately. And I'm a huge fan of Star Wars. So you have to understand that it, it pains me to say that because something that I love has been turned into something that I, I detest. So that said, people were looking for something to be outraged at, at least the way it comes across to me. So EA took the brunt of it because battle battlefront two had star cards, which were kind of quote unquote pay to win. It would uh, modify certain things like reduce cooldowns or increase weapon damage slightly. And ultimately in my experience with the game, which I do enjoy the game is that you can be the best player in the universe and rock everybody's faces with no star cards. If you're like me and you're the worst player in the universe, you get rocked when you have really good star cards. Star cards mean little in the grand scheme of things and maybe even balance the battlefield a bit for those of us who are not good at the game. So from my point of view, they're not necessarily a bad thing. I'm not a huge fan of pay to win, but I don't feel like it's pay to win when the bonuses are easily counteracted by other people's bonuses from their star cards. Everybody has star cards and they're not hard to get. That said, this was a big bunch of nada and having slight advantages may be a problem to some. And from where I sit, very slight advantages. But I don't know. The The bulk of the outrage came around the Yoda Darth Vader being locked behind paywalls uh, thing. You know, it's it's not like. I think it was 40 hours each, so about 80 hours, which is a lot of time to unlock two characters. I agree. Agree 100%. This could have been tweaked. This could have been modified, and it wouldn't have been that big of a deal. 
or it would have been a big deal. I don't know. I feel like I feel like it would have been a big deal because think about Ubisoft. Okay, they do the same thing. Okay, and I know some of you are like, no, they don't. No way. No, 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 no. So you could have bought the characters Yoda and Darth Vader and unlocked them with a microtransaction with a purchase. In Rainbow Six Siege, it's the same freaking way. So somebody did the math. And if you want to unlock all 16 operators, it would take about 25 hours a piece to unlock. So we are talking approximately 400 hours of gameplay to unlock all the characters. Yeah, you can go and purchase them. Sure. But if you're trying to be economical with the game, if you made a purchase of the game and got, you know, uh, base characters and you wanted to uh, earn the characters through gameplay you have to make not a trivial time investment that's 10 work weeks 40 hour work weeks of gameplay I mean that is massive that's two and a half months of 40 hours a week (laughs) to be able to unlock all the operatives in the game now some people say that oh well the base operatives are Um, fine as they are and you can actually play well as a trainee well my argument is that you can play well without yoda and darth vader you can play fine without them in battlefront so i don't know the parallels often overlooked because people like to change the goalposts and point at the star cards and how they're quote-unquote pay to win and ultimately for me i feel like it's a bit of a deflection because ubisoft is just as guilty maybe not in terms of they're not as bad, but they're still that's still a ton of time. 25 hours is a lot of time to play a game for one character unlock. So in my point of view, and I'm not ragging on Rainbow Six Siege. I, I like the game. It's a good game. So don't take me wrong there. I just want to draw the parallel that the upset is less for Rainbow Six Siege because people were brought into that economy gradually instead of at launch. And also there's not toxic star Wars fanboys in the rainbow six siege community, which uh, makes a big difference as well. But that said, taking a look at rainbow six siege and drawing that parallel, it drives me freaking bonkers, man. I just, it's hard for me. It's, it's really hard for me to articulate it without curse words. And I'm trying to be better about, uh, Uh, I'm trying not to curse during this podcast. I'm trying to keep it safe for work so people can listen to it or whatever if they need to. But that said, I just feel like because they accepted this economy and it was brought in gradually that they were like, no, it's fine. It's fine. And then when when EA does it, they're like, oh, and I just feel like there's a lot of hypocrisy there. I feel like there is... I don't know. There's this need to defend Rainbow Six Siege, who will defend the 400-hour time spent to unlock all the operatives... And I've seen this act take place in multiple places. So it's not like an anecdotal thing. I've seen maybe like seven or eight people, which I guess you could still say is anecdotal. But I've seen seven or eight people actually defend Siege and say, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. And it is it is it's worse if you want to unlock everything. And I don't know. I just feel like I feel like moving the goalposts and then deflecting the argument onto one thing without being critical of a company because you like the game more or something is ridiculous. So I don't know. I think character locks and time gates are a bit gross in general, unless the time gate is fairly low. I I feel like maybe like five to 10 hours is reasonable for a character. But when you get into the 25 hour mark, when you get into a mark that has to do that 
ends up being as much as a work week worth of work or multiples of those, you're looking at grind and grindy games are not fun. They just aren't to me. They've lost their appeal. I used to play World of Warcraft for a long time and the grind, the grind is old news and I will pass on it. So while I have no real horse in the race old overall, I just I don't know. I find it to be hypocritical and I feel like it is part of why as game gamers in general and as an overall gaming community, not saying we are all one big community, but as an overall gaming community, why we never get anywhere and never get anything done and nothing positive ever comes of our discussions because we have so many people who are just so willing to move goalposts and to change and deflect. And it's it's sad. It saddens me. It really does. It makes me sad. And I really wish that we could be a little bit more articulated and civil in our discussions rather than just moving goalposts over and over and over. And let me go ahead and bring up my final points. So I think I got to get off the uh, the loot box thing. Otherwise, I could go forever because I could I could go forever on it, but I'm not going to. So the killing of studios is my last point, and I hate that they've done this. I mean, to be fair, it is their right, but I feel like they should have restructured the studios, maybe put a better person in charge, someone more creative, someone with better vision. I don't know. It's it's really hard for me to justify that. I think that's a pretty cardinal sin to me. But Bullfrog, Westwood, Pandemic. I mean, I, it, it makes me sad. Those are really, really those were really good game developers. And we will not see their IPs again, at least in any cognizant form anytime really soon only clones and uh spiritual successors all right well all in all i guess ea isn't the devil to me i i honestly consider myself a fan of their work i'm not a fan boy but i do like some of their i do like a a a large chunk of their produced body of works could they improve Absolutely. Yes, they definitely could improve. They have a long way to go. And I don't know if from my point of view, they're no better or worse than their contemporaries. I feel like Ubisoft does a lot of the shady dealings. I, I feel like Microsoft Game Studios does some of the shady dealings. And I feel like some of them are better in some ways than others, for sure. And I don't know. I think if you're looking for idyllic, you look at CD Projekt Red, but I wouldn't even consider them one of the top publishers because they don't publish that many games. They self-publish all their games, but they don't publish that many games. Granted, they are a great developer and publisher, but uh, I don't normally include them because they are so head over heels, head and shoulders above every other game studio out there. It's almost not even a fair comparison. (laughs) But I don't know, even Bethesda's in the same boat for shady DLC and microtransaction practices and things like that. So I don't know, trying to balance profit with customer satisfaction is a very hard juggle. And I personally, they've tried. They've been trying to do better. I mean, when they got wind of the complaints about Battlefront 2, they backtracked on the microtransaction policy for the loot boxes and made the loot boxes earned with in-game 
currency that you earn through playing. Now, this could change. I'm not saying that they are infallible and that they're perfect. I'm not saying that about any of the game studios. That could change in the future, absolutely. So, I mean, in the mid mid 2000s, they were EA was crap. And I just don't know of any other better way to put that. They were awful and they had a shuffling of CEOs and things got way better and they've been getting better and they've been trying really, really hard. So I personally, I commend them for trying it and they aren't as evil as people make them out to be. I don't think we should give them a ton of leeway, but I also don't think that we should overreact to when they make bad practices. Yes, speak out about it. Yes, raise your opinion, but do not have an alarmist culture like we have had and that we have shown with Star Wars Battlefront. People behaved like Star Wars Battlefront was the end of gaming. I mean, I I, I refer to him a lot because I, I really like his content and I respect him, but Jim Sterling went way overboard with his commentary on EA and the Star Wars loot box controversy. A lot of that felt very much overdone and just way over the top. And I'm not saying just from him. So don't think I'm picking on him because again, I, I, I look to him as a fantastic commentator on video games in general. But from my perspective, I feel like the alarmist culture built up in gaming has really gone over the top in a lot of regards. So maybe, I don't know until they give us a real reason to have alarms go off and freak out. Let's not do that. <laughs> I, I feel like I feel like we've we've come to a point where every time that a game come a game publisher, one of the big game publishers messes up, it's the end of gaming. And there's a little bit of that boy who cried wolf mentality there. And I feel like after a while, the game, the game publishers are just going to stop listening to us because for every 10 people crying wolf, there's a thousand people buying the thing that we're crying wolf about. So I think it's really important to make sure that the things that we are hitting on and that we are criticizing uh, vocally are done in a way that gets the point across, but doesn't act like the sky is falling on gaming. I think that's all for me, at least on EA. Thank you for joining me on another episode of the Insert Coin Theater podcast. I hope that this episode made you think a little bit maybe you considered why you feel the way you do about ea maybe you are even stronger against ea's policies and the way they do things either way is fine i just want to make you think and look at things and maybe in a different light and i'm okay with that so if you have any comments or thoughts suggestions for future episodes please let me know you can hit me on twitter at insert coin tim and you can join the awesome Discord of the ICT community, which is my live stream at discord.gg slash ICT. And finally, please check out my live streams. I stream Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and Sunday starting at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Mixer at mixer.com slash insert coin theater. I am probably going to be looking into maybe organizing a Game Wisp or a Patreon or something specifically for this podcast. So if you wish to help uh, support the podcast and help support me in maybe doing content creation full time someday, that would be great. That said, I will have more details for that forthcoming. Thank you so much for your time. I really hope that you enjoyed this episode. I had a lot of fun researching it and looking into EA's sordid history and past, and it 
was very fun to execute this podcast. So I hope you guys have a lovely rest of your week and I will see you next time on the insert coin theater podcast later. <laughs>